I used to read a lot of Christian fiction. That was before I got busy. <laughs> Basically before I went to college. And some of the books had a great conclusion. But it occurred to me that a lot of those books had weak conclusions. And while reading, I would wonder, how will this story end? And many times the conclusions were disappointing. I thought the author could have done a better job in concluding this book. However, there is nothing lacking in the conclusion to the book of Romans. It is a most fitting conclusion to this great epistle uh, that we have been studying for several years now in our midweek Bible study. I'm going to read to us this conclusion. It's Romans chapter 16, uh, verses 25 through 27. It's a conclusion that should stir our hearts uh, to praise our great God this evening. Uh, if you're able, please stand in honor of the word of God. Romans 16, 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. Now, this is a doxology, and hence the ESV translators have given us a heading uh, for this section that says doxology. A doxology is a hymn of praise to God. So Paul concludes this great epistle with a hymn of praise to to God. Now, I put a question in the bulletin for our discussion this evening that asks, what makes these verses a fitting conclusion to the book of Romans? What do you think? What makes these verses a fitting conclusion to the book of Romans? Starting with Mom. It's a reminder that the gospel was foretold in the New Testament now and revealed to all nations, not just the Jews, and God gives all the and so it speaks of how the gospel it was promised in the Old Testament. It's for Jew and Gentile alike, and God gets all glory. And yes, Andre. It's a summation of the book, or the letter, in the beginning. Um, Paul is talking about the problem of sin. He gets into the gospel, and he tells us how to live. Uh, Romans 12, I'm reminded of mm -hmm. uh, being conformed not to the world, but uh, being renewed by our minds. Yeah. Uh, just going through that, who gets the glory, who's able to establish us, who's able to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's a good summation. All right. Anyone else? Yes, Liz. The result of learning what Paul has taught us should be worship. Yes. Anyone else? What makes this a fitting conclusion to the book of Romans? Dorian. You see something about uh, the role of the law and the role of faith um, that the end of this place uh, sits according to the command of the eternal Lord to bring about the obedience of faith. And that was a big part of, of the letter. God has saved us so that we will live a new life of obedience to Christ. And he brings that up here. Any other thoughts? All right, let, let's uh, dive into this passage together. I'm ask that question so you'd be already be thinking, even before you got here tonight, um, about the passage um, and how it fits so perfectly with the rest of the book. Uh, we see in the first two verses, verses 25 and 26, that God is able to strengthen you according to the gospel. Take a close look at verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul refers to it is the good news that the Lord Jesus Christ entrusted to 
the Apostle Paul, and that Paul faithfully proclaimed. That word gospel literally means good news. Um, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, and Christ had personally appeared to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and had appointed him uh, as his apostle. And as an apostle, Jesus Christ revealed uh, the gospel to him. And by God's grace, Paul had been faithful uh, in proclaiming that good news. It is the same gospel that the other apostles proclaimed. Uh, his gospel was no different uh, from what was proclaimed by the other apostles. And that point is made in the book of Galatians. Now, Paul says, To him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel is synonymous uh, with the preaching of Jesus Christ, that is, the preaching about Jesus Christ. As the, the gospel centers, as we've seen in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, the gospel centers on Christ crucified. Or, as we will read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3-4, through 4, the heart of the gospel is that Christ uh, died for our sins, according to the scriptures, uh, that he was buried, uh, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he uh, showed himself alive to witnesses. That is the heart of the gospel. The gospel is the preaching of Jesus Christ, centering on his death and resurrection. Now Paul says, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. It's very fitting for Paul to speak of the gospel here because the gospel has been the theme of this whole book. I want you to go back to chapter 1 uh, to see what Paul said in the very beginning of this epistle about the gospel as he introduced this uh, great theme of the book. A good outline of the book will, will show that it is all about the gospel. Romans chapter 1, let's begin at the very first verse. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. There, there you have it. At the very first verse, he brings up the gospel. He brings up the theme of this epistle. He is a servant of Christ called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That is the gospel that comes from God and is about God. Verse 2, which he promised, that's which gospel he promised, that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So he's told us in the very first verses of the book uh, something of the gospel. Uh, the gospel was promised in the Old Testament. Uh, the gospel concerns God's Son, uh, who descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power uh, by his resurrection from the dead. And he speaks of the response that we are to have to the gospel, the response of faith in verse 5, when he said that we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Nations. Now, if you go down to verse 15, verse 15, Paul says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. These are believers that he's writing to. Uh, they have been saved by the gospel, and now he wants to strengthen them in the gospel. He wants to communicate more of the gospel. To them. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, 
as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, the gospel is this good news of the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God that God gives by His grace that is received by faith. This right standing with God that is not achieved by works of the law, uh, but is received by faith in Jesus Christ and is given to the believer wholly of the grace of God, a righteousness that is from faith for faith. So Paul has introduced here in chapter 1 the theme of the gospel and all throughout the book. Uh, he will be developing that theme as in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Uh, he extensively shows our need for the gospel, how the Gentile needs the gospel, and the Jew needs the gospel. In, in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, chapter 5, uh, he teaches on justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then in chapter 6, he goes into our union with Christ that we have because of the gospel, through faith united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And that should affect the, the way that we live as believers. We should no longer going on, continue on in sin, uh, that grace might abound, but we are to walk in newness of life as those who have been crucified with Christ, who have died with Christ to sin, or who have been set free um, by the Lord Jesus Christ, set free by his death and resurrection, to now live as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 8, uh, he got into what the gospel promises to the believer in the future uh, with our glorification that is to come uh, when Jesus comes again. And chapter 8 gave us assurance, gave the believer assurance that nothing, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It gave us the assurance that, that this salvation cannot be disrupted, but it will certainly be completed by God, by His grace in our lives. In chapters 9, 10, and 11, it looked at you know, God's sovereignty in salvation, and, and it looked at the whole scope of redemptive history, how God focused on the, the, the Jews, then he focused, is focusing on the Gentiles, and then there's coming a day when all Israel will be saved. So it looks at the whole course of salvation history. And then the remaining chapters were about how those who are saved by the gospel are now to live in light of the gospel. So he has really fully developed this theme of the gospel of God. And now we can come back to chapter 16, and uh, we can understand why he would be mentioning this at the end. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul has taught the gospel in this epistle in order that believers may be strengthened. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. A believers need to be strengthened. And, and there's five different ways that we see in the New Testament in, in which we as believers need to be strengthened. And in each of these verses that we're going to look at, it uses the same Greek word uh, that is used in our text, translated strengthened. First of all, believers need to be strengthened in faith. I put in your notes Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He tells Peter, strengthen your brothers. That word strengthen is the same word in the original that we have in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. And Jesus tells Peter, strengthen your brothers. Uh, in the context, is the idea of needing to be strengthened in faith. Uh, because he's told Peter that he has prayed uh, that Peter's faith may not fail. Uh, he is going to be uh, sifted uh, by the devil. 
Um, and he is going to deny Jesus three times. Deny three times that he even knows Jesus. Um, but Jesus has prayed for him that his faith may not fail. By God's grace, Peter's faith will not fail. He will be restored. And you have that wonderful passage in John, uh, Gospel of John, is it chapter 21? Um, where they are at the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection. And uh, very clearly, Jesus is communicating to Peter when he says, feed my sheep. He says that basically three different times. Um, Jesus makes it clear, you are restored, Peter. Um, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. We need to be strengthened in faith. Believers also need to be strengthened so as not to be moved by persecution. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. I put in your notes. Paul says, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one may be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. I put in bold the word establish. It comes from the same Greek Greek word that's translated in our text as strengthen. That, that same Greek word can be translated in these two different ways, uh, depending on the context, either establish or strengthen. And uh, they are very close. Those two English words are very close together. But notice here, the context in 1 Thessalonians is persecution. Paul was driven out of Thessalonica uh, by severe persecution. And after he had left this brand new church that he had planted there, they also suffered persecution. Paul's been speaking about that in this epistle. And now he says, we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. When we are persecuted for Christ's sake, uh, we are tempted to, to waver. We are tempted to, to not be faithful to Christ. We're tempted to fall away from Christ. And Paul saw it as important uh, to send Timothy to establish or to strengthen these new believers so that they would not be moved by the afflictions, but that they would remain faithful to the Lord Jesus, whatever the cost would be. We need to be strengthened so as not to be moved by persecution. We need to be strengthened so that we be steadfast in the face of persecution. We also as believers need to be strengthened in every good work. We see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. To put in the notes. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Again, establish comes from the same Greek word in our text translated strengthen. We need to be strengthened or established in every good work. We have been saved for good works. He said in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We're God's, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And those good works are contrary to the way that we lived before we were saved. We need to be strengthened by the Lord in every good work. In every good word that he would have us to do and to say. Fourthly, believers need to be strengthened to resist the devil. I put in your note 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. The word establish, again, the same Greek word. He will establish or he will strengthen you and guard you against the evil one. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks of the devil's schemes and the spiritual battle that we are in and the armor that we are given uh, through the gospel uh, for fighting the spiritual warfare. And in the spiritual warfare, we must resist the devil. We must resist his schemes. We must resist his temptations. And so we need to be strengthened in order to uh, be able to resist the devil. Uh, the fifth way in which believers need to be strengthened is we need to be strengthened in the truth. 
You see that in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12, to put in the notes, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, that is, the qualities of Christ, that are to be increasingly evident in our lives as believers. He's given a whole list of them in Second Peter 1. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. Why does he speak about you are established in the truth? Because he's just about to warn them against false teachers. That's going to be the focus of chapter 2. Warning against false teachers. But Paul or Peter expresses confidence that the believers he's writing to are established in the truth that they have. We need to be strengthened in the truth. We need to be rooted in the truth that we would be protected against false teachers. Of which Paul warned in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, if you go back in Romans 16 to verse 17, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. A warning against false teachers. We need to be strengthened in the truth and that we would be protected against false teaching. So, five ways uh, that just doing a word study shows us we need to be strengthened. We need to be strengthened in faith. We need to be strengthened so as not to be moved by persecution. We need to be strengthened in every good work. Strengthened to resist the devil. And strengthened in the truth. Now, the apostle in our text praises God who is able to strengthen you in accordance with the gospel of Christ as you believe and meditate upon the gospel. As you believe and meditate upon the truths that Paul has taught in the book of Romans, you will be strengthened in all five of these ways. You will be strengthened in faith. You will be strengthened so as not to be moved by persecution. You will be strengthened in every good work. You will be strengthened to resist the devil. You will be strengthened in the truth. And him who is able to strengthen you in accordance with the gospel of Christ as you believe and you meditate upon the gospel. Now the apostle tells us in our text more about the gospel. You look at the second half of verse 25. He says, According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. He's still talking about the gospel. The gospel is the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Notice here that the gospel is a mystery that was kept secret for long ages. A mystery, as we we saw in 1 Corinthians, is a part of God's truth that he did not reveal or only partially revealed in the Old Testament, but has now fully revealed through Christ and his apostles. As a mystery, the gospel is something that man could never figure out, but can only know by divine Revelation. You can never deduce on your own God's plan to save a people for himself through a crucified Messiah. You can never come up with that on your own. You can never figure out, well, that's what God is going to do. And just looking at Jesus of Nazareth crucified on the cross, you can never deduce the significance of that death. You cannot know the gospel of God apart from divine revelation. And the scriptures are that divine revelation of the gospel. Notice that uh, through the prophetic writings, he says the gospel has begun to be made known to all nations. What are the prophetic writings? They are the scriptures. Uh, You see... Peter speak of them in a very similar way in 2 Peter chapter 1. The prophetic writings are the scriptures. And the apostles, when they proclaimed the gospel, whether it was in the book of Acts or it's in this epistle or elsewhere, 
When the apostles proclaimed the gospel, they were appealing continually to the Old Testament scriptures as showing the truths of the gospel in the Old Testament, showing the Old Testament promises of the gospel, the Old Testament prefigurings and foreshadowings of the gospel. The apostles appealed to the Old Testament scriptures as they preached the gospel. And the apostles understood that their writings were scripture. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, uh, Peter speaks of Paul's writings as scripture. The apostles, as they were writing scripture, they understood. They were writing scripture. And Paul speaks of the Old and New Testament scriptures. Now at this point, the New Testament was still being uh, given to us by inspiration. But it was in process. And Paul says in verse 26, it has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known or it could, the idea could be is beginning to be made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. It is the command of the eternal God that the gospel be made known to all nations. This is God's eternal will. This is not something new. This is what God has always purposed to do, uh, is to bring the gospel to all the nations. You see that all the way back in Romans chapter, I'm sorry, not Romans, in Genesis chapter 12, uh, with the promise to Abraham, that through Abraham's descendants, God will bring blessing to all the families of the earth. That Abraham's descendants are going to be an instrument through whom God works uh, to bring blessing to all the families of the earth. Ultimately through the, the unique descendant of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the command of the eternal God that the gospel be made known to all nations. And notice that the purpose is to bring about the obedience of faith. A, a term that we read earlier tonight in chapter 1, verse 5, to put in your notes there, that through Jesus Christ, Paul says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among all the nations. And when we studied chapter 1, we saw that the, that the obedience of faith is an obedience that originates from faith in Christ. It's an obedience to the Lordship of Christ. The law of God does not give us a way uh, to please God. The law of God shows us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And in salvation, uh, we are given the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to walk a new life of obedience to Jesus Christ. And so the obedience of faith is an obedience that originates from faith in Christ. You can't have this obedience apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't have this obedience apart from faith in Christ. It originates from faith in Christ. An obedience to the Lordship of Christ. And this goes all the way back to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, when Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Great Commission is that we would make disciples. How do we make disciples? We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those who believe the gospel, by God's grace, are made disciples of Jesus Christ. And what are we to do uh, when individuals believe the gospel of Christ? When they become disciples of Christ, we are to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. This obedience is the obedience of faith that Paul speaks of in our text. Look at it one last time, verse 26 in our text. But has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. God is glorified in this way. In saving a people from his wrath, 
and then transforming them into people who live in growing obedience to Jesus Christ from the heart, from a transformed heart, a heart transformed by the grace of Christ. This brings God glory. Well, the gospel of God is such a glorious message from God, proclaiming the unfolding of his marvelous plan of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. It is a message that reveals the glories of God. The gospel tells us about God. It tells us about the grace of God. Before it tells us about the grace of God, it tells us about the wrath of God. Think about chapters 1, 2, and 3. It tells us about the mercy of God. It tells us about the love of God. It tells us about the wisdom of God. It tells us about the sovereignty of God. It tells us about the glories of God, the faithfulness of God. Paul is here in our text leading us in praising God in light of the gospel truths revealed in this epistle. And indeed, in the last verse, verse 27, we can summarize the verses, to God be the glory. Look at verse 27. Paul continues, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore to Jesus Christ. Amen. And this is where he was going already in his mind at the beginning of our passage. He started out in verse 25, now to him who is able to strengthen you. Continues in verse 27, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Notice that God is called here the only wise God. I I put a question in the bulletin for us to discuss. It asks, where else in Romans is God's wisdom mentioned? And how does God's wisdom relate to what has been taught in this epistle? You can answer either half of, of the question. Where else in Romans is God's wisdom mentioned? And how does God's wisdom relate to what has been taught in this epistle? Debbie? Yes. Chapter 11 speaks of the wisdom of God. And the second part of the question, how does God's, and we'll take a close look at that in a moment. second part of the question, how does God's wisdom relate to what has been taught in this epistle? Feel free to think about what we've been studying in 1 Corinthians. Yeah. Well, in 11.33, that is a praise of God and a conclusion of the heart of the book talking about the gospel. And as you mentioned a moment ago, that can only come from the wisdom of God. It can't come from the wisdom of man. Right. This glorious gospel can only come from the wisdom of God. It cannot come from the wisdom of man. It's exactly what we've been seeing in 1 Corinthians. Paul's been talking about the wisdom of God in contrast to the wisdom of man or the world's wisdom. Any other thoughts you want to add to that? Yes, Dana. Our minds must be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that we would, apart from the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, we, we know the wisdom of the world, and we don't comprehend, we don't understand the wisdom of, of, of God. We need the Spirit of God to give us understanding. Anything else? Right, let's take a look at that passage that Debbie referenced. Uh, chapter 11. Uh, let's go back to verse 30. Chapter 11, verse 30. Paul, in speaking to a a largely Gentile group of believers, says in verse 30, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. He's not speaking about them individually. 
He's speaking about the Gentiles collectively, looking at redemptive history. For just as you were at one time, just the Gentiles were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, that is the disobedience of the Jews, who, who rejected Christ and did not believe the gospel. Verse 31, So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So God is currently giving mercy to the Gentiles. God, That's the focus of God's redemptive work right now. He's turned from the Jews to the Gentiles, but this is so that the Jews in the future will receive mercy and salvation. Verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience, the, the group of Gentiles and the group of Jews, God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That was a doxology right there. At the conclusion of the doctrinal section of this book, notice that he brings up the wisdom of God in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He's just been speaking about what God has done in redemptive history so that no one will boast before God. So the Jews will not boast before God, and that the Gentiles who receive salvation, that they will not boast before God. God has this all-wise plan that he is fulfilling that brings him all the glory. A plan that only God could devise. God's wisdom is seen in his wise plan for salvation history which has now been revealed through Christ and his apostles. Paul says in our text, to the only wise God, meaning that he is the only God and that to him alone can be ascribed the wisdom exhibited in the unfolding of the mystery of his will. To the only wise God be glory. Here the word glory means honor and praise. To him be honor, to him be praise, to him be glory. When we give glory to God, we honor him as being the glorious God who he is. So the only wise God be glory forevermore. The gospel shows God to be worthy of eternal praise. Not, not just praise throughout our earthly life as a Christian, but the gospel shows God to be worthy of eternal praise. To him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. That is through our Savior and Mediator. To him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. We're used to using the word amen at the end of prayers. I don't know if you know where it comes from. Amen is a Hebrew word that's been left untranslated here in the, the New Testament and in our English Bibles. It's a word that means truly. And it occurs at the end of the first four books of Psalms. Psalms is divided up into five books. Psalms is a, is a, a book of praise to God. And, and the first four books all end uh, with something like Amen and Amen, or the people said Amen. Literally, truly. Well, what a fitting conclusion to this epistle. Romans should stir us to honor and praise our great God. It stirred the Apostle Paul uh, to honor and praise our great God in this doxology. And the book should stir us as well to honor and praise our great God. Think about what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I think Liz referred to it earlier at the end of that doctrinal section. Paul said, and I put it in the notes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul looked back at this great doctrine of the gospel, which he summarizes as the mercies of God 
And he says, I appeal to you by these mercies, by the gospel of, of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The gospel should lead each one of us to worship. In Romans 12, it was the worship of a consecrated life. A life that is consecrated to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. A, a holy life. Offer your body as a holy sacrifice to God. And now at the end of the book, it's praise, honor to God. Another form of worship. Let me ask you, do you praise God every day for the truths of the gospel? As believers, we should Praise our God every day for the truths of the gospel. We don't learn the truth of the gospel and then move on beyond the gospel to other things. No, we must be meditating daily upon the gospel. And if we're meditating daily upon the gospel, then that's going to be moving us to daily praise God, thank Him, honor Him, for who he is as revealed in the gospel. Understand that God has given us music for praising him. Music is a gift from God. Congregational singing is important, something to do wholeheartedly. Our worship is not just learning God's word and then believing God's word and obeying it, though that is of critical importance. But there also is to be praise that comes forth from our lips unto our God. And that's why you see in the New Testament uh, that singing was to be a part of the corporate worship of the church. And that's not, nothing new. You go back to the Old Testament. You see that singing was part of corporate worship in the Old Testament. God is to be praised from our lips. And it gives us music for doing so. Uh, we, we should sing wholeheartedly uh, when we gather together uh, for worship. We should sing wholeheartedly uh, with, with our minds understanding the words that we are singing and singing those words from hearts that are in awe of God. Singing those words not just as words, but actually meaning what we're saying meaning what we're singing, letting those words come from our heart as praise to God. It's a good, Christ-centered Christian music, for it can lead you to praise God for the gospel throughout the day. Growing up, my parents oftentimes would have Christian music playing in our house. Um, and, and growing up, I just assumed that's what, what all Christians do. And uh, I... I grew up appreciating, constantly hearing words of praise to God in the background. Now, just discern if the, the Christian music that you listen to focuses on self or God. There's a lot of bad Christian music out there that focuses more on self than on God. God-honoring music will focus on God. It will not focus on self. Um, you need to be listening to good, Christ-centered Christian music that our thoughts would be led in praise to our God throughout the day. Well, any questions or comments on anything we have seen uh, tonight? Dan? Just a comment. Uh, Paul Washer just came out with a new book that I finished reading this afternoon. It is excellent on Christ and the gospel. Mm. And I could give the title to anyone. But it was interesting that you mentioned the Beatles. Because uh, as I was finishing the book, and it was just, that was just really causing me to praise the Lord. At the same time, I had music going on. And it just seemed like so many of those songs were focused on the gospel. And I just was blessed how the music. And the book came together. I just throw that out as a testimony. Praise the Lord. So, a new book by Paul Washer yeah. on the gospel. The gospel and Christ. And Christ. And the glory of Christ. Andre.
filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18 says, uh, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Yeah. So if you're doing that daily, it kind of protects you from all the other things that will come in. Mm-hmm. And uh, that testimony when I used to listen to hip-hop music, that's what would come to mind very many times in the day. Now that I'm listening to hymns all the time, what comes to mind very many times in the day are hymns that they what you listen to will run through your mind. Be careful what you listen to. You want it to be music that exalts our great God, exalts Christ. Any other questions or comments? Yes, Daniel. So the reason for the music and I that like um I used to listen to a lot of like country music like uh like hip hop and stuff like that. I used to think it sounded uh like oh there's nothing wrong with it. Like it's just music. And then um like as I started to read the Bible more and study uh Revelation three, four to five, I was starting to wonder, is this really glorifying uh God? And then it's like most of the most of throughout the day, uh Songs like that in my mind. So um, then we switched over to like more uh, liturgy and stuff like that. And um, I was also thankful for the many suggestions that my religious church has given us for music, right? And now that's like all I listen to. <laughs> and those songs are always coming uh, back uh, to mind. And it was like uh, today I was like, wow, God really changed the things up for me uh, by a lot. Because I'm noticing that the songs that come to mind when I want to sing something are about really spiritual things. And it's not about all the uh, secular things that I want to hear. Thanks for sharing that testimony. Anyone else? Questions, comments? Yeah. Last questions or comments? If there are no more, then let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you. There is none like you. How glorious you are. How perfect you are in wisdom. How perfect you are in your justice, how perfect you are in your grace, in your mercy, in your love, how perfect you are in your sovereignty, how perfect you are in your faithfulness. And we see all of these attributes of yours in the glorious gospel. But we are amazed at what you have done We deserved your eternal condemnation. But instead of giving us what we deserved, you chose us in mercy and grace to be the objects of your great redemption that you would accomplish through your Son. You you have sent your very own Son uh, to, to die in our place is the propitiation for our sins. Uh, you have 
poured out your love in our hearts through your Holy Spirit as you have applied the gospel of Christ's death and, death and resurrection to our souls. You, you have adopted us as your sons and daughters. Your, your spirit who is within us cries out, Abba, Father. And you have determined to glorify all whom you uh, predestined, all whom you called, all whom you justified. You've determined to glorify each one. And your grace is so strong that there's nothing that can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you are saving Jews and Gentiles in such a way that no one can boast before you. For all we can do is praise your glorious grace and mercy. Lord, we are in awe of what you have done for us in Christ and in awe of who you are. We pray, Father, that you would grow us in praising you and honoring you for all the glories that we have studied in this great epistle. Keep us meditating on the gospel. Keep us in awe of your grace towards us in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.